0: A quick warning, we do discuss eating disorders throughout this episode, so if you'd prefer to skip it, we'll catch you next time.
1: A quick warning before we begin, our episodes are made for adult ears, so do expect to hear some swear words and occasionally some adult themes. Oh, one more thing. While we're at the warnings, a note on sound quality. These episodes have been produced by us in isolation. They're not made in our usual studio, so they don't sound as slick. But bear with us. I promise you the content is worth waiting around for. Hey Daisy. Can we make some podcasts? Yeah, we've got so much
0: time on our hands. Sounds good to me.
1: Every day we could bring a good and a bad news item, what's keeping us going, what's making us blue, and then we'll try and get as many guests as we can. Stunning.
0: Let's do it. (laughs) I'm Daisy Grant, and you're listening to Harness, Isolation Diaries. Hello everyone, it's Daisy here. I hope you're all doing super well. Uh, For today's episode, we're skipping our usual news and voice note segments to bring you a slightly longer interview. After chatting to Nadia Craddock last week about eating disorders in isolation, we figured it was a pretty important topic and it required a bit more discussion. So you wanted to talk to someone who'd experienced this situation firsthand. We chat to Leah, who runs the Instagram at Leah L Loves, a super positive and uplifting page, uh, about her experience with anorexia and how her journey evolved over... 15 years. Leah gives some real pearls of wisdom as Roisin described to me in the text which I thought was absolutely accurate. We do hope you enjoy this episode and if you yourself are experiencing any issues with disordered eating we'll link some helplines in the show notes for both the UK and Australia. Take care.
1: Leah can you tell us about the happy-go-lucky 12-year-old version of you?
2: It's so funny growing up I was always had my own sense of identity. I'm actually a triplet and I have a twin sister and a brother and we couldn't all be more different. And I think that's because I've always just been my own little character and always had my own funny, unique sense of style, always dressed how I wanted to dress. I've had a funny obsession with shoes and just always been chubby and loved my food. And I guess growing up having a sister who was a lot skinnier, people would compare the two of us, but it never really affected me because I just knew... I was me and you know I guess sometimes I would think oh I wonder why I didn't get her body why am I in this one but it never negatively affected me in terms of stopping me from doing stuff I could always be out playing with my friends I always had friends and I didn't have low self esteem I wouldn't say until I hit my teenage years.
0: What do you think changed that where do you think the message came from that you your body was in quotation marks not
2: acceptable? I started reading Girlfriend and Dolly magazines probably when I was about 13, 14. And I became obsessed with um, like Roxy denim skirts and the models they used were all tanned. They were all very skinny. They all had a certain body shape, which was not mine. And I remember starting high school and just seeing the different girls. And I just felt, I became aware of how much bigger I was than the other girls. And I think reading these magazines reinforced that message that you're different. And I thought, oh, so I'm supposed to look like these girls. Like I can't wear that denim skirt unless I look like that. Literally, I remember sitting at night time think I had my last little crunchy little chocolate bar. I remember thinking, this is going to be my last crunchy. I'm going on a health kick tomorrow. And yeah, I did. I just cut out junk food because I've decided I need to lose weight because I want to wear these clothes these girls do. And if any boy's going to be interested in me, then I need to be skinny. And that's what it started with, just cutting out junk food. I got creative in the kitchen. I was making all my own meals.
1: How old were you? when you made this decision to go on your health kick. And can you talk us through, if you're comfortable, how you went from a health kick to ending up in
2: hospital? When I was 13, probably towards the end of the year, when I was about 13, going on 14, at first it was so healthy, I just started going out for walks with my mum and we'd go out for these chats and, like every afternoon, I'd get out for a walk and I was still playing basketball at that time. I really loved basketball. Uh, that was something, a sport that I did. And yeah, just getting, I wouldn't eat a lot of the same meals as the rest of the family. I just sort of started creating my own healthier versions of it. And mum gave me that freedom to be independent, to do that because it was something I was enjoying. And then slowly I started isolating myself from my brother and sister. I started isolating myself from my friends. Recess at lunchtime, I'd start walking around the school. Um, just slowly started eating less and less because I started noticing the weight dropping off and people were noticing. And it was a gradual thing and I didn't realise what was happening to me. I didn't know. I just started reading diet magazines and I learnt about calories. People started looking at me funny and that's when I realised that my people started to really notice but not in a good way.
1: Were they initially noticing in a good way did you get praised for losing weight
2: yeah absolutely it's like oh losing your puppy fat and you know the classic you know because as you get into teenage years losing that little bit of chug from your childhood and things like that and so people noticing in a good way me feeling good in my clothes and oh wow I got to wear this certain size and things like that and I didn't know how to stop like I didn't know how to maintain that weight I only knew how to lose weight and exercise became something that I didn't do for joy, like as a kid, I loved, I was very active. I loved running around the oval. I loved playing, you know, any sport, you name it, I would be doing it. My walks with my mum would become an obsession and I got faster and faster and she would, couldn't keep up with me. Eventually she banned me from going for walks with her because I was getting too obsessive and I would become angry walking because she wouldn't walk fast enough. From doing that, I ended up exercising in secret. I would get up, you know, two hours before school, do exercise in the lounge room. Um, we had... Aerobics Old Style was something on the TV back then. And so I'd do these workouts, but I'd get up extra early and do these videos. I still had VCRs back then. And so I'd do these exercise videos early in the morning as soon as I got home from school. That was my compulsion. And it wasn't something I enjoyed. It was just something I had to do. And if I didn't do it, I felt so uncomfortable. It was, I guess at the time, it must have been anxiety because I didn't know what was going to happen if I didn't do it, but I knew I had to do it. And looking back now, I can see that that was a real anxiety around that. But it was also, an exercise addiction at such a young age. And yeah, it was around when they, all these strange compulsions started. Um, and I didn't even realise it was just the way I started eating. My food became weird. I became obsessed with washing my hands. So a bit of obsessive compulsive behaviours. Yeah, just paranoid. I wouldn't let mum cook me anything because I always thought she was going to plant some extra sugar or fat. I didn't like to smell her cooking because I thought I would be breathing in the fat particles that would make me put on weight. So I'd get angry if someone baked something and I could smell it. And yeah, it's just a, it's a horrible time.
0: You've shared images and videos on your Instagram now. And how do they make you feel looking back at images of you kind of at your, at your lowest weight and at your most vulnerable and at your illest?
2: It's a funny thing because I only uh, recently, it's earlier this year, to be honest, that I actually shared those images publicly. And it's something that I hadn't looked at them for years. I, I have them stored away in a box and I hadn't looked at them because that time was such a horrible time and I think I felt so much shame and embarrassment over the years about my recovery because I felt like I failed so I've never a lot of my closest friends didn't know my story but I am very passionate about body positivity and self-love and I was sharing my inspiration people like oh you should love yourself and then I had a conversation with someone and they said well why are you passionate about that and I told my story and I said you need to share that and that's when I brought the images out and had a look at them and decided, okay, I'm going to share this with the world. But now I can look back and I can, I can know that that girl, that wasn't me, it's, it's strange. Like I, I don't identify with her as if like, I know that's part of my history, it's part of who I was at that time, but that version of me was never me.
1: Well, I thought you said something really interesting, you know, I don't mean to paraphrase, but the sense of even when you were in the throes of anorexia, there was still a little part of your voice which said to yourself, this isn't me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not actually this body, this skinny body, it doesn't even feel like me. And that's yeah. I found that interesting that even through it, you kind of knew yeah. someone that it wasn't who you were and that you were able to have that objective view.
2: I'm, I'm quite spiritual. And I think that now looking back, I think there were, the real Leah was in there. She was just taken over by this horrible entity called anorexia that had taken hold of her and created this angry, obsessive, horrible version of, of me.
1: I know you had a very uh, rough road as well. It wasn't easy, the recovery, and that you spent a good deal of time in and out of hospitals. So can you tell us how did you make your recovery and from at least what we can observe you you haven't just recovered like you you're thriving and the messages that you put out um, and the positivity that you put out is is really infectious so how do you go from that 14 year old to who you are now how does that happen
2: with my anorexia in and out of hospital I was I remember my mum saying she'd spoken to one of my counsellors or doctors and they would said to her that I might never recover And I remember mum telling me that. And I just remember I was so engrossed in it then. I just thought, what do you mean, recover? Like, this is me. This is my life now. And I managed to stay out of hospital for maybe a month. And I was introducing like scary foods, but I was very strategic how I did it. I would count the calories and know how much exercise I needed to do that I wouldn't put on too much weight. And then one night I had this weird, I just call it like a moment of realisation where I sat up in bed, like I was exhausted. And I just, I feel like it was... It was me talking to myself but maybe it was maybe it was myself maybe it was something deeper than that that said hey like, what are you doing like you're on the wrong path this is not you're not being true to who you are like what is this for you're exhausted you're never gonna be skinny enough like no matter how skinny you get it's not enough and I remember just thinking I think my mum had actually gone to Bali and she needed to get away and I was being cared for by my older brother and yeah I thought to myself like, mum could die. Like, we'd had the Bali bombings, like, terrible things had happened. And I thought, if I lost mum, and all I've been doing is so consumed in my own crap, what's it all for? Like, life is short. And I just, like, I'm so grateful I had that moment at such a young age to really take myself out of my ego, which escaped that nasty voice to go, hey, like this is not the right path that you're on. And that day, I woke up and I was like, no, nah, that's it. And I went from one extreme to the other, which I just started binging I just started eating everything I don't know I I felt embarrassed I felt like oh my god like I've put on this weight, and it just continued I continued to put on weight I put on quite a lot of weight to be honest and to the point where I decided to drop out of school I left school I was in year 10 and I said to mum like I don't want to do school anymore and that came from a place of being embarrassed deep down I can see now I think I disguised it as look, I want to repeat year 10 and I want to do better in my studies but deep down I felt embarrassed to go to school what will people say what will people think you know anorexics don't recover into fat bodies like i failed you know and that's how I felt and during that recovery putting on that weight during a really tender time I had um, my employer say to me ask me if I was pregnant and I was like what 15 something like that never even looked at a boy very naive to have someone ask me if I was pregnant like I was traumatized that nearly sent me back into spiraling back into my eating disorder but My mum managed to get me out of that, which I'm really grateful for, and went and bought bigger clothes, clothes that fit me because I was outgrowing my clothes. So she was thinking, oh, she must be pregnant. This young girl's putting on all this weight. She didn't know my story because I didn't tell people because I was so embarrassed about it. I thought no one's going to believe me that I was anorexic, so I just completely pretended it never happened. And that's something that carried on through all of my 20s. No one ever knew about it because I didn't speak about it. And so people would just look at me and just think, oh, She's just this chubby girl and I would get fat shaming comments from colleagues in the workplace, things like that. And I think in my head, I would think, my gosh, you just, you don't know my story. You've got no idea. And I never told them. I just carried that. And I guess it cemented in my mind that skinny is better. You know, skinny is superior. And I was always chasing a body that was never mine. You know, I continued going on and off diets throughout my Late teens, 20s, tried every diet pill you can imagine, put my body through. Hell, I'd lose weight, get all the the validation, and then I'd sabotage myself, put weight back on. And this went on, you know, well into my late 20s, even up to, you know, 30. I'm 32 tomorrow. And now I've got to a place where I've closed the door on all that diet culture crap. And yeah, life couldn't be better. But it has, yeah, gaining weight was definitely difficult during my recovery because I didn't know that recovery looks different on everybody, which is something that I've since discovered that recovering into a larger body does not mean you've failed. Despite
0: that long kind of lasting struggle of 15 years of yo-yo dieting on and off, I'm still so amazed that at 15 years old, you could separate your own ego and recognize that there was more than just yourself. Like, that's amazing because as a teenager, we
1: are self-obsessed and that's just how our brains are wired. It is an incredible part of your story. And I would imagine that the reason that doctor or counsellor said that to your mother is because, I don't know, but I imagine that a lot of people don't recover and that Mm -hmm. a lot of people will go back into cycles or... Still have a very disordered way of eating, even if they're not in the thick of anorexia. Your story does stand out for that reason to have that epiphany at at such a young age. It's incredible.
0: When you shared with the world your story, your images, your videos, how did that feel? Did that feel
2: freeing? I think I'm someone that struggled my whole life with being vulnerable. Like, I'm not someone that is emotional. I don't know. I just, I was listening to signs from the universe and I thought, you know know what, this is, I need to do it. A song came on the radio and the lyrics just spoke to me and I thought, yes, this is my sign. I need to do this. And this is my purpose. Like I've got such a place now where I am so happy in myself. I need to share this story because even if it helps just one person, that's amazing. And that's what I kind of went with that mindset. Warm my heart to see how much support I had and how many people were touched by my story, even friends that had no idea, I was shocked. And they yeah, it was just so freeing. And I feel like now I'm like, wow, like that's a weight off my shoulders that to, to own that part of my story that I felt so much shame and embarrassment over has been such a, it's like an invigorating feeling. And yeah, I feel proud that I've owned that part of myself because I didn't identify myself with it because of the shame. But I think, no, that's an important part of my story of, you know, the life of Leah. And if it can help, even just one girl out there struggling to see that there is hope. And if I can be that glimmer of light to go, Hey, there's a little bit of light there and where there's light, there's hope. And maybe if she can recover and be happy to live in a larger body, then maybe I can too. You know, my body's flawed. What society would say is flawed. You know, it's, I've got, I've got got loose skin just from my yo-yo dieting over the years, but my body is my home and I'm not going to be at war with it anymore.
1: And on that, you know, you're saying you close that door, you close that chapter and you you found that happiness. So in times like these, um, just to add some context, our previous episode is with Nadia Craddock and she's from the Centre for Appearance Research and we spoke more in these themes, but I suppose in more of a theoretical or academic way. And she explained why it is so difficult and triggering for many people who have had an eating disorder or in are in the throes of an eating sort of right now the to be in lockdown to be isolated you know there's mm-hmm. many of those aspects of what we're going through in the world now which is not going to help people who are in that mindset so what sort of messages can people say to themselves if they're feeling that self-loathing right now
2: we're not immune like i'm not immune some days i wake up and i think oh girlfriend i'll feel a bit puffy today you know or i feel like oh i'm feeling a bit shit but i acknowledge that feeling and i i So often we'll say, I feel fat, but fat is not a feeling. And it's it's deeper than that. And I think we need to just tell ourselves that stand in front of the mirror, look yourself up and down and say, girlfriend, you are enough. Like you are worthy just as you are. Yeah, your body might have more fat on it than it did before this isolation. Or you might have cellulite, you might have loose skin, you might have stretch marks, but that is just all part of your home. It's what makes you unique and, and interesting. And it's okay because you are so much more than your body. And I think that when we can go, you know what? I've got these arms, I stand in front of the mirror and I, I flap them around and I go, you know what? I've got two hands. I can put my makeup on. I can drive my car. I can hug myself. I can hug my husband. I can experience pleasure. I've got two wobbly legs that, you know, I'm sure they would wobble in the breeze if a, if a wind came by and I was standing outside naked, but it's okay. It's normal. And that's just me. And I've accepted that, that I'm not going to have the legs of a model because... I'm not six foot tall, I'm five foot four, I'm short, I'm stout, and that's me. And by honouring my body and listening to my hunger and being kind to myself and eating when I'm hungry, and changing the mindset to one of gratitude and making those negative thoughts more neutral. If you can't make them positive, make them neutral and just go, you know what, girlfriend, you are alive. You are freaking lucky to be here. So many people aren't so lucky. Changing the narrative from I hate my body to hey. This body is my home and it's going to be the longest relationship that I'm ever in with myself. And if I'm going to choose to allow it to be a toxic one and isolate myself and hate myself because my body doesn't look like what people think is beautiful, that nasty voice in your head, goodbye. Tell her to jog on and don't believe her because we have the power to choose what we believe. I strongly believe that the voice in your head, you can go, okay, you're telling me that I'm ugly. Actually. No, I don't believe you. I go away, flicker off, say no, I don't believe those words and replace it with you know reality of like, hey, I am here, I am beautiful in my own way. I'm beautiful like me, I'm not beautiful like anyone else. And no matter what I look like, my worth has nothing to do with it, you know And it's just it's annoying within inside yourself and it's something that you need to tell yourself every day. We're bombarded in diet culture that will try to make you feel that you're not good enough. And that's all to make money. And when we can turn that around and go, no, I'm not giving you my money because I am good enough just as I am. That's such a powerful thing, you know? And so much of
0: that, of what you've just said, comes from within. How can we support our friends and our loved ones who might not be having those realisations themselves? Mm -hmm. How do we not
2: necessarily guide them, but just support them? I have a lot of friends that just aren't there yet. And I know a lot of people that just aren't there yet. And I think holding space for them to talk and not shutting them down like their feelings are valid you're allowed to feel your feelings and if we shut them down and say no you're being stupid you're beautiful that's not helpful so i think allowing them to vent allowing them to talk but then also reminding them of hey do you know why i love you nothing to do with your body you are smart you are intelligent your beauty radiates from the inside out you have a kind heart make that person realize that fat is not synonymous with Lesser. It's not synonymous with ugly. It's fat is just fat, and it's okay to be fat. You know, you might have a girlfriend say, "Oh my God, I'm fat," and we in it, our instinct is to say, "Oh no, you're not." But by saying that, we're just reinforcing that idea that fat is bad. You know, if you say, "Well, hey, I've got body fat. I'm chunky. I'm fat. I've got cellulite, but it's okay because I'm more than that," and remind them that they are so much more than their body. That's not why you love someone. You don't love someone because they're skinny or they're pretty. You love them for what they more than that, what they are. And I think it's just reminding them of that, trying to get them out of that space of body checking. And most importantly, this is the main thing, is be careful what you say around others. Because if you're fat shaming yourself, or if you're going for a walk and you comment on someone else's body, that can send messages and people can pick up on that. So if you're out and you're going, oh my gosh, look at that. That person's feeling shit about themselves. What you've just said, it's not directed at them. But directing that towards others indirectly hurts them. So I think it's being careful with our words. And if it's not kind, if it's not important, it's not necessary, don't say it.
1: The terrible things that we say to ourselves, we would never, ever think or say about a friend. I remember being the chubbiest one of my circle of friends. And Mm -hmm. how many, you know, we've all been in that situation where the bathroom, the, the girl who's skinnier to your left is going... Oh, i'm so fat and then you know you the, the fat friend ends up telling them how not fat they are and mm-hmm. i totally believe that that girl and i'm sure i've done it and we've all been guilty of it you just don't mm-hmm. see yourself in the same way as you see others and that isn't meant as an insult to no. the person you know but it's still so important i agree to be mindful of just what you're yeah. saying to yourself how yeah. that can impact others and 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 that we do have to be supporting each other.
2: No matter what someone's body hang up is, I guess, yeah, it's just having space for them and being supportive of them as a friend and changing the conversation, you know, doesn't help when someone's trying to undiet or trying to learn to love themselves and all you're talking about is your latest diet or, you know, if you've lost weight, gained weight or that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, especially someone recovering from an eating disorder, that is not helpful (laughs) at all.
0: Not the conversations you need to be having. Well, thank you so much, Leah. Your story is really, really powerful and beautiful. And it's amazing to see you glow and be so vibrant and oh. wonderful and happy. And you radiate <laughs> such joy. And it's wonderful to hear from you.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel very honoured and blessed. I've never done this before. so. <laughs> oh, we feel really
1: honoured and blessed. It's, a, it's amazing to hear from you and to hear, for you to be so open. So thank you
0: thanks for listening to this episode of harness isolation diaries we are proud supporters of Rafiki Mwema and the Carly Ryan Foundation to hear more about their amazing work check out the show notes also if you want to share with us what you've been up to during these really uncertain times drop us an email at projectharness at gmail.com or message us on instagram we love receiving your voice notes cheers